Hello and welcome to this special episode. William Rhodes was a storyteller on this show back in Season 2, Episode 33. He reached out to us last week, asking if we'd like to speak with him about being a black artist in San Francisco, and we didn't have to think twice about it. The following is a collection of William's experiences, thoughts, and dreams. We hope you take the time to really listen and appreciate it, and we'll see you on the other side. So I arrived in San Francisco in 2008, um, and it was a really exciting time for me um, because I really came, and I came straight from Baltimore, Maryland at that point. So I wasn't really prepared for the um, transition. I thought I was, but I realized I had preconceived notions of San Francisco, um, and then I was also coming in with a Baltimore uh, kind of mindset. So it was, it was, um, I had, you know, I had a culture clash, I would say to yeah. a certain degree. So being very naive, I felt, I still thought of San Francisco as being the, the uh, city of love, summer of love, you know, very hippie, um, you know, earthy, crunchy kind of feel, which is bad, but I'm being honest. And, but then I discovered, you know, that this whole tech thing had really exploded. And I didn't really understand what that, that meant. And, and that's, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but when you come in thinking one way and you see something else, it can create really a shift in how you see things. So I had to adjust to just the whole kind of concept of how, um, the tech was really the focus on everything. And it was such a big focus that being an artist, I began to feel like the artists had to really constantly fight to justify why they're here. So that was a problem because, you know, I saw all of these amazing people, these people that I love that did such creative things, but they were most of the time in a position where they always had to fight for whether it be more money or to show people get to convince people we should be here, we're worth it. And it was very sad because there were a lot of artists that I met and then they, they were pushed out because of, you know, the, the tech thing, of course, affected the rent prices. So people that had studios in areas that no one really cared about or paid attention to, now all of a sudden they had to leave. So it, it really created uh, this feeling where it was like almost moments of, desperation and just kind of fighting for territory all the time. I started to really take that on. You know, the other thing is being an artist, um, it's hard to explain to a lot of people, but you know, artists, not all artists, but a lot of artists, it's about communication through self-expression. Mm -hmm. You're communicating whatever it is. So that could take on wearing a crazy outfit that people may think is weird or doing your hair a certain way or wearing a certain t-shirt, things like that. Um, just your whole body language and everything else becomes an expression. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a culture where it's very tech and tech is corporate in many ways, that's how I perceived it as an artist. Right. So it's kind of a rigid way of doing things, you know, um, they, they, you know, portrayed the image with Mark Zuckerberg as being in a t-shirt and wearing a hoodie and everything, but it still became a pattern of behavior. So 
I started to notice people that would express themselves with crazy costumes or outfits and things that really made San Francisco special began to be labeled as weird people. And people wanted to really distance, them, distance themselves from that. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt. There were moments that I wanted to go back east. Yeah. Um, I was more comfortable, you know. Um, Baltimore is, you know, uh, Industrial was an industrial city. It has its issues with crime and other things. It's starting to change as far as gentrification, but gentrification had not hit even close to the level of San Francisco. So I could still find crazy way out artists if I'm going to use the stereotype. And I knew Baltimore, you could get a studio and you wouldn't have to worry about a price. You know, you could afford it. You know, it's it was that kind of thing. So I felt there were times I wanted to turn back to that. What really got me more grounded was the love and support of my friends through a collective which we formed called 3.9. It's an African-American art collective in the city that forming that collective really created a family for me. And um, I began to be able to talk to people and interject ideas and thoughts and connect with people and create like a soundboard, um, you know, for artistic things. So that really made me feel like, okay, there's some, I can set down some roots here because I had that. Mm-hmm. Then I got involved in other organizations like Artsband, which has been really good for me too, because that connects you with a broader spectrum of artists, even outside of Black art. Mm-hmm. So um, that, again, allowed me to feel like I could put more roots down. But um, there is, was still, yes, a big change and really trying to adjust to that. I mean, Baltimore, like you said, are two different cities. So Baltimore, for those of you who don't know, it's a predominantly, it's a large African-American population, mm-hmm. um, which means on the surface, it may seem like it's just poor, destitute people, because a lot of people see that because they look at the negative aspects of Baltimore. But Baltimore has a variety of African-Americans. So you have poor, you have well-educated, you have uneducated, you have middle class, you have wealthy. So I had a, I got used to having a spectrum of African-Americans I can relate to. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, it became harder. There are... Um, and I'm not trying to sound elitist. I really hope I'm not sounding elitist, but I noticed the huge population of homeless people and a lot of them were African-American. So it was a situation where you're trying to connect. I would try to connect sometimes with homeless brothers and sisters, but they have a different situation, which I understand they're trying to survive. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to talk about art. Mm -hmm. That's a luxury that I have. As a middle class person, and right. you know, not to sound elitist, it's just fact. I can talk about art. They're talking about how they can eat and how they can live. Right. So it began to be. It was hard, really, trying to connect to with with the population because there's not a big uh, middle class African American population in San Francisco. They got pushed out. So by being a part of this collective, creating this collective, I was able to connect with people that we had shared experiences and shared backgrounds. Well, one thing, I mean, we, we have been visible with our art exhibitions. So just being a presence, a Black presence in the city has kind of, I think, done some good for the city. 
Um, the other thing that we do is individual members, including myself, we've done a lot of community-based projects, art projects. So whether they be um, events where we do for the community to be involved, issues around social justice, creating project, projects around that, um, we've been able to do that. And lately, we've been really, a couple of our members, particularly Melanie Malora Green there, I'm going to shout out to them. They have been really pushing the idea, and we really are excited about this, really being mentors. Mentors for young people. For the next generation. Um, yeah, for the next Absolutely. generation, and being supportive in that way. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that we want to give back. Instead of just a legacy of shows, we need to, you know, really our push and our focus is going to be on what can we do for the community at large. So I've watched, I've watched a lot of change take place. Um, there, there are, in the positive sense, it's been, it's been good. Um, I felt like I've gotten support as being a black male, and I'm gonna go back to an artist. <laughs> I felt like I've gotten support from uh, Artspan and various organizations that are really looking for um, African-American artists or artists of color to do projects. So in that sense, it's been really, really good. And I can't, I can't you know, minimize that at all. On the day-to-day, -day, there are moments that it has been problems. There have been uh, instances of micro racist aggressions that I've had. I've had situations where I've gotten together with a few of the other members who are African-American males. We've gone out to eat. We've gone to certain restaurants, certain places, and had weird things take place. People have been said certain outbursts. So it's been little, it's been things like that. It's been microaggressions that have happened. It does not happen all the time, but it does happen. And it does remind you, you know, all the time that people are, are looking at you based on your color. You know, it's these constant little reminders. It could be very subtle too. It could be just as subtle as, you know, um, someone when they see you coming by, they cross the street or they hold their purse or, you know, it's a variety of things. There, there are things like that that happen, but they're reminders. In the beginning, I was having a really hard time. Um, that's another reason why the collective was formed because there were people, uh, other black people living in the city that I would try to talk to about these things and they would basically tell me I was reading it incorrectly. Hmm. And I felt like I was crazy. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to actually connect with some of some people, like members of my collective. We could actually have dialogue and talk about these things. And they're like, well, the same thing happened to me. You know, when I went to this particular store, this happened and this happened, or I was accused of stealing something and security, you know, followed me around and tried to do these things. We could talk about this. And it was the thing that made it so powerful is you were with with other people that did not judge you and could validate your experience. Right. Because when you're in a situation where people constantly invalidate what you say, it really undermines your feelings and makes you question yourself. You know, one issue around, I had a friend who's a member of our collective and he said that before you kept, you know, before you 
before I met you, you know, I didn't, I started to not even pay attention to the fact that so many of the homeless people in San Francisco are black, yet the population is so small. And by the fact that I brought it up and we would talk about it, we would go out and then we'd go places and it was like, we were noticing all of these homeless black people, yet the population is so small. He said, well, man, you brought that up. So now I'm aware of that. And I'm really thankful that you brought that up. So, yeah, it began to be. And the same, they would share things with me that I started to really become aware of. I'm hope, I'm very hopeful for all of it. Um, I was hopeful before it even happened, <laughs> to be honest. You know, I'm, I am an astrologer, too. So I've been oh. kind of tracking a lot of stuff for quite a while. Okay. Um, I know, that's another another crazy thing I had to pull out of my hat. No, um, I, it's just a world I know now, like... Tell like what are which planet is doing what to which other? Oh man, we got to talk. We got to talk. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but um, I'm I feel like yes, I'm hopeful that this is creating uh, a change. Well, I should say people are thinking now about this issue. Again, it's about validation. For so long, so many black and brown people talked about it, but they were invalidated. Mm -hmm whether it be publicly, individually, or even by the media, mm -hmm. we were being invalidated. So now it's like, you know, it's in your face. You got to really deal with the issue. Now, this is the thing. I believe this. With every situation, you have to replace something with something else. Mm -hmm. So you can't just go from, we're going to just hold hands we're all going to get along. We're not going to have police attacking people, black and brown people, and then the world's going to be a better place. Right. We're going to have to move to another place. The other place is, the other part of the conversation needs to be for all of us as individuals. How can we exist in a world that is not based off of a caste system? Because there are so many of us, and this is from white to black, to brown, to whatever, there are so many people that really do not know how to exist in that type of a world. Even if they're benefiting from it or not benefiting, they don't know how to operate. Because what it means is when you get to a point where you're not operating in a caste system world, then that means you have to change how you compare yourself to other people and how you value yourself. So then all of a sudden, you have to look at yourself. So how, what foundation do I stand on if I am no longer wealthy? If you take the money away, what foundation do I stand on if, if being white doesn't mean anything anymore mm -hmm. and I don't have someone to look down on me? Mm -hmm. That becomes a real issue because then you got to really start looking at yourself. Like what makes me the strong foundation? I don't have those crutches any longer. So to me, that needs to be the next conversation. It needs to be an individual, rev really, revolution. It starts to happen with everyone. Once that conversation starts to happen and once those changes start to happen, then the police brutality issues, the disparities in economics, the disparities in housing, all of those things, will, I believe, will start to work out when people are really honest with themselves. Because changing policies, as we see, there were changes in policies in the 1960s. And now we're right back where we started. Mm 
So it has to be not change of policies, it needs to be change of heart. That's where the change is gonna come. Because they can implement, they can implement tons of laws. And I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I want laws to change, but it has to be the change of heart behind the laws. So if you change the laws with police brutality, X, Y, and Z, and you don't have a change of heart, 20 years from now, we're gonna be right back where we started. So as an astrologer, I've been tracking for a long time. We're, we're in a new age, and that's why we're in so much upheaval. There's been a lot of struggle to keep the old ways, assert, to continue the old ways, and then there's a push to make the new change happen. The new change, I have no doubt, is going to win. And ultimately, all of this upheaval, struggle, and strife that we're dealing with, which will continue for a while, but once we get through that, I believe we're going to get to another side. And the other side is going to be many of the things that we've talked about in the past and, and idealized, but we're going to actually be able to bring them into action. So it's going to be, a, we're heading towards a good age. That's what I feel. The 60s was the dawning. So, so technically, many astrologers would say, we, the 60s, we were not in it. We were just at the, like, it was beginning to dawn. It was the peak of it. The cusp. Yes. But now we're actually in it. So we're, so we're in, so the age of Aquarius in the 60s, that was the dawning, just the cusp of it. But we're actually full throttle because ages last thousands of years. Yeah. So this is not like a decade. We're talking. And if you can imagine, if we're just going in it, imagine how much transformation we're going to get into as we get to that point. We got a thousand years to work all this garbage out. The way people can stay hopeful, and this is for everyone, try to focus on what you think you were put on this planet to do. If you're a banker and you hate it, for example, if you're a banker and you hate being a banker, what do you really love? You may love being a musician. You need to pick up a guitar. You need to start practicing. I didn't say you quit your bank job if you can't <laughs> handle losing money, but I'm saying you need to, that's the focus now. People need to find what they were put on this planet to do and really try to find ways to pursue that. Don't go by what the society's telling you to do, what your parents are telling you to do, what your, all of those things. You've got to find those things of your purpose. Once you find your purpose, you're going to be okay. That was artist William Rhodes. We're working on recording more of our Black fellow San Franciscans and hope to get those podcasts out in the very near future. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Hunt. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, San Francisco. 